Welcome to Latte with a Lawyer, a podcast dedicated to bringing you the stories of some of America's most successful lawyers, figuring out what makes them tick, how they creatively solve problems, and how others aspiring to be them can follow in their footsteps. Okay, good morning, everybody, uh, or good afternoon, uh, depending on where you are. Welcome to another episode of Latte with a Lawyer. I'm your host, Jonathan Brinkman. And uh, we have with us John Morrison, and it looks like your name's on the marquee. Morrison, Sherwood, Wilson, and Diola. Did I get that right? That's correct. Good, good. Anyway, nice to have you with us. Thanks, Jonathan. Good to be here. You bet. Uh, to to kick, kick off of the theme of the show here, Latte with a Lawyer, what's your morning beverage to get started? Um, I'm strictly a black coffee guy. Good. Seems to go with uh, with Montana, right? Black coffee, rugged. Well, I think there's a lot of lattes sold in this state, but um, I I generally don't. My wife drinks lattes, but uh, not me. Good, I'm with you. All right, good. Um, so uh, just tell everybody. Uh, I I know you got a long uh, storied career here with lots of stuff you've done, but what are you doing these days? What's your What's your practice all about now? Well, in the last few years, I have had um, a, a number of uh, class action cases that have required a lot of time, uh, particularly with respect to health insurance. Uh, w w cases where we discovered that uh, there was some systemic problem in the way a health insurance company was charging premiums or paying claims yep. and uh we got people refunds or got their claims paid so okay. uh, uh there's been um, a lot of work associated with uh just uh, uh proving those cases dis discovering those cases proving those cases and then ultimately certifying the classes and uh getting the money out to tens of thousands of americans Got it. How are those things? Like, how are those started? Like, who um, initiates those claims? How are they just figured out? Sometimes class actions start uh, because you know that there's been a system wide problem, and you know that you're going to bring the case as a class action. Other times, you just start out uh, trying to help an individual, and you find out that uh, the same. Uh, wrongful act that affected your client also affected everybody else. Um, and uh, so we've had both uh, uh, of those sorts of cases recently. Okay. Interesting. So, I mean, health insurance is obviously a big issue for a lot of people, right? So, I mean, what's the mechanism where they're being <clears throat> mistreated what? Well, as an example, um, I represented a guy who was a truck driver from Sydney, Montana, okay. and he bought a short-term medical policy. Uh, he changed employers and lost his health insurance, so he bought short-term medical. Um, he got cancer after that, and they didn't pay any of his bills. So I got involved, tried to get his bills paid. There were <clears throat> $60,000 in bills at issue, uh, and uh, one thing led to another, and we discovered that um, not only was this company 
denying claims wrongfully for lots of people, but they were also systemically underpaying everybody's claim mm. all over America. And so what started out as a $60,000 medical bill for um, a truck driver in Eastern Montana became a $9 million class action in which we uh, obtained um, additional payments for uh, 20,000 people across America. Hmm. Interesting. I mean, well, not, interesting, not in a good way, but um, I mean, the whole issue with, I mean, even in my family, you know, with the pre-existing conditions, you got to be very careful, right? Is if you switch insurance provider, but it sounds like the policy should have covered it, right? There were no pre-existing conditions. Well, uh, what wound up being the basis for a national class action was uh, that the policy in that particular case promised to pay uh, the uh, usual and customary uh, price for the medical treatment that you received. Okay. Um, or the medical bill, whichever was lower. Uh, and it defined the usual and customary price or the reasonable and customary price. Uh, but they weren't following the definition. Instead, they were using an outside vendor and the outside vendor had an algorithm that generated a reasonable and customary reimbursement number that was way lower. So mm. the bottom line was, you know, you buy an 80-20 health plan, you'd get a $10,000 medical bill yeah. You would expect that under that plan, you would pay 2000 and they would pay 8000 but instead, they would give it to their vendor and they would say, well, you got a $10,000 medical bill, but we think that the reasonable and customary charge for this service is only $1,000. And so we're only going to pay $800. And so then you're stuck with, you know, a, a $9,200 medical bill. Um, and so when you multiply that across the country, you have a, thousands and thousands of people who thought that they were buying real health insurance, but they weren't. Maybe they thought they were buying an 80-20 policy and what they wound up with was a 20-80 policy. Yeah. Oh, boy. If that makes sense. Yeah. Well, I, I, I mean, we, we don't want to make this all and about health insurance, but I mean, how do you, I mean, how was the consumer, even, would they even know this? I mean, how do you, how do they pr protect themselves? Well, in many cases, you have to uh, just simply go to a lawyer and say, "Look, my bills aren't getting paid." Um, and if it's uh, a lawyer who works in the field and understands, uh, you know, something about how health insurance works, then they look into what's what are the de what's the devil behind, uh, you know, these details. You know, What's the devil in the details here? Um, and um, uh, from the client's point of view, all they know is my bills aren't getting paid. Mm. Um, I paid my premium. I did what I was supposed to do. I thought I was going to get coverage. I'm not getting coverage. Go to somebody who has expertise in the field and say, what's going on here? So besides recovering all this money, which is great with a class action suit, what are the consequences for the uh, insurance company after that happens? Well, uh, you know, these cases overall have uh, a deterrent effect. So it's just like law enforcement. 
right? Um, enforcing the law and, you know, putting a criminal in jail for uh, six months or uh, in prison for four years is not going to make crime go away permanently, but it serves overall uh, when there's, when you have a system that regularly holds wrongdoers accountable, yeah. it serves as a, uh, you know, a force of influence in the marketplace that makes wrongdoers think twice before cheating people and stealing their money. Mm. And so um, there, there are really two objectives, uh, you know, in these kinds of litigation, whether it's <clears throat> suing an insurance company for doing something wrong or suing a product manufacturer that's sell selling a, a defective product um, or whether it's uh, suing a, a, you know, a bank for, uh, you know, the way they treat their uh, borrowers or depositors. Um, you know, one objective is to get your client's money back. Uh, and in some cases, your client base may um, expand to include uh, a class of people who you are getting money back for. But the other purpose is to create um, a kind of a deterrent effect that makes companies want to do the right thing because they know it's going to be more expensive if they do the wrong thing. Mm, got it. If these kinds of uh, law enforcement mechanisms uh, are not available, um, then it creates a perverse incentive in the, in the other direction, in the opposite direction. Yes. Have you always been on the plaintiff side? I've represented defendants uh, as well as plaintiffs, uh, but I, I've ch chiefly represented uh, workers and consumers and small businesses in my practice over the years. Okay. Um, so how, just bring us through that journey. I know you've done a lot of things over the years. Like, you know, how did you get started and how did you get into this line of work? Uh, well, uh, my dad was a lawyer and my granddad was a lawyer. And um, when I was in high school, my 40-year-old mother went to law school. Wow. Um, and so um, there has been a, uh, you know, a, a, not just a tradition in my family, but an atmosphere uh, where a lot of what we talked about had to do with the law and with policy and with government and uh, with the courts and, um, issues that are before the courts and before the government. And so I suppose I uh, sort of always knew that I was headed in that direction. Yeah. Although my, my sister uh, became uh, uh, a performing artist. So uh, she went in a different direction. Oh, nice. Um, but it, wait, and you grew up in Montana. Is that correct? I did. Yeah. yeah. But, but it looks like I am reading your biography here. You, uh, you did some pretty, uh, just regular jobs starting out, dishwasher, lawnmower, you know, so you, uh, you worked your way up. My, uh, my, my folks said from the time that I was uh, a pretty young kid that, uh, you know, they um, would always make sure I had enough, but I always had to work. So I started working when I was about in the sixth grade, I guess. Nice. And, yeah. um, uh, you know, you know, had a lot of different kinds of jobs after that. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, same here. I mean, I'm not sure kids today do do those things, but I mean, I had all kinds of odd jobs from as early as I could work. 
And uh, th those are great experiences, right? I mean, you really uh, learn about the world that way. You do. You learn about working with people. You learn about um, applying yourself and not, not quitting and giving up. And uh, you learn about the value of money and you develop, a, ideally, you develop a good work ethic. Yes, absolutely. Um, so it looks like you, uh, I was reading, um, again, your biography. So your kids are some good, good athletes, it looks like you got in your family. Uh, wonderful uh, two daughters who um, have each had um, great early careers and it's uh, the joy of my life to uh, watch them blossom and uh, spend time with them whenever I can. Nice. And wh where do they live now? Our older daughter lives in Austin, Texas, and our younger daughter lives in Brooklyn. Oh, nice. Yeah. I was just in both of those places, actually. Um, on, on various trips, but no, no lawyers for them. They're not going to be lawyers. Uh, TBD. Oh, okay. Well, you I, said I, your I, mother I, got started late, so who knows? <laughs> right, right, right. You never know. It's a long and winding road. Yeah. It's funny. My, uh, my grandfather who was a general practitioner tried to convince my mother he was probably in his 50s, 60s, to go back to law school with him. It didn't happen, but it was interesting. I That story was interesting to me that he had that curiosity to do that late in age. So you're right. I guess you, there's always time to do it if you want to. Uh, I went to law school at the University of Denver, and I had uh, in my class in the mid-80s a man who was in his 70s and was Russian. Wow. He had moved to the United States in as a middle-aged man and, uh, you know, still had a thick Russian accent. Hmm. Uh, and, um, you know, he was 72 or 73 or something and and uh, was uh, going back to law school. So good for him. Good. How was he as a student? How did he do? Um, I, I, I suppose he probably struggled, but I... Uh, I don't know personally. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Very good. I think he, uh, I think he graduated. Okay. Well, there you go. That's all that counts. I suppose you got, you got through it and uh, who knows, probably doing some great things, maybe for immigration or something. I don't know. <laughs> right. Um, so uh, give me an example. Again, I know you've done a lot of things like what, what's a memorable case that you worked on that stands out. Well, I've been doing this for 35 years, so I've had uh, a pretty wide um, range of experience from colorful trials to interesting appeals uh, to big cases that never wound up going to court, but, you know, involved uh, major um, issues that were important. Uh, but have you always been a litigator? Yes. Okay. And do you do jury trials? Is that part of what you do as well? Yes. Good. How many how many jury trials have you had? Well, that's an interesting question. Um, I I had tried about twenty jury cases in the nineteen nineties, uh, and um, I um, I typically tried to set a case for trial every month. Okay. And um, and I found that about uh, you know, 10 of those would settle and 
well, I didn't get one set every single month, but maybe I'd set 10 trials a year and, um, and eight of them would settle and two of them would try something like that. Okay. Um, and so I wound up trying about 20 cases as a young lawyer, um, which was a much smaller number of cases than my dad tried as a young lawyer. When my dad uh, came into the practice in the 1960s, uh, he tried a hundred cases by the time he was in his early thirties. Wow. Um, but they'd go to trial with a file that was this thick, you know, um, and uh, discovery became a lot more uh, elaborate and complicated uh, as time went on. Now, uh, so I, so my career was somewhat unusual because after I'd practiced for 12 years, kind of intense, intensively, and, and I was kind of burned out, I ran for public office and was elected uh, to a statewide political office in Montana. Uh, and then I did that for eight years. Yeah, what was the office? Uh, I saw that, but I didn't know what, what was your office. Well, it's, constitutionally here, it's called the state auditor's office. And okay. most states have state auditor's offices, but ours is a unique amalgam of jobs. And the biggest part of that is being the insurance commissioner. So I was the insurance commissioner. I was a securities commissioner. I was state land commissioner um, and uh, worked in all uh, uh, three of those areas uh, for eight years. And then I went back in the practice uh, starting in 2009 and um, kind of got my practice back up and running again. And, and, uh, and this firm uh, joined this firm that uh, you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast yeah. uh, in 2011. Um, and so I had a decade early on and then basically a decade where I did something else and then an, a, another decade. Um, and so in the more recent decade, I've only uh, tried uh, three cases, um, but I find that that has something to do with uh, my uh you know, reputation at this stage of my career, um, my understanding. They're afraid of, of you. They're afraid of you. They don't want to go to court with you. Well, I mean, obviously, you know, when you're uh, when you're in your fifties, you are a more known commodity than you are when you're in your thirties. Right. Um, and so uh, there's some of that. Uh, there's also, you know, as you. Uh, do a lot of these cases, you become better able to um, to work them up properly so that um, the party on the other side understands um, that they need to resolve the matter. Yeah. So um, I'm probably better at, uh, you know, getting the case postured in such a way that the other side realizes it's checkmate and um and so um in in that regard maybe less likely that it goes to trial got it by the way i never asked this question but i'll ask you since you brought it up 
Are lawyers good chess players? <laughs> what do you think? Well, I don't think you can generalize about lawyers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, it is like chess. But yeah, sure. Lots of things are like chess. Yeah. But 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 litigation's one of them for sure. Oh yeah, for sure. Now I've heard, the the way you express it, I've heard other uh, you know good trial lawyers say the same thing. I mean, you get a reputation, and then you know the other side realizes that you know I'm better off settling for a reasonable price instead of pushing it to the uh, the courtroom. So interesting. Right. Yeah, I think that is a sign because I asked the question. Well, I imagine you probably do more jury trials than others, and the answer was no. And again, now I understand because you're um, precluding that by your reputation so it's better to settle which is uh which is interesting well, i'm always happy to go to trial and um i i have settled a lot of cases in the last 10 years that i was eager to go to trial on um but of course um if you're not eager to go to trial that shows right and um you're that's one of those factors that weighs in whether you're going to be able to get a good settlement for your client. Yeah. So have you attended these, uh, like Jerry Spence, these trial colleges and those kind of things before? I did attend um, uh, Jerry Spence trial college when I was a young lawyer. Okay. In, in 1990, in 1990. Um, yeah. In, in um, my second year of the practice. Okay. That's I, from what I understand. I, I've been in, uh, Excuse yeah. me, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I was going to say, I understand it's quite a production. You spend, what, like three weeks, four weeks away at the ranch? Well, the one that I did was at the University of Wyoming in Laramie. Okay. Um, and um, I think it was just like 10 days. Okay. But um, I've been in numerous um, settings with, uh, with Jerry Spence um, over the years. Uh, but that was the only uh, immersive uh, course. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, those are good. I've been to a bunch of these uh, on the West Coast. There's Trial Lawyers University, which you may know of. I'm sure you probably do. I've been to a bunch of those events where the you know top lawyers get together, share their approach, go through trials, et cetera. Yeah, the one that I went to in Laramie, I think, was. Um, was a trial lawyer uh, training intensive that was um, operated by uh, uh, a man who was uh, former chief justice of the Wyoming Supreme Court named Rose. And I think uh, at some point, uh, Chief Justice Rose had been a law partner with Jerry. Okay. Uh, maybe in Riverton, uh, early in Jerry's career, before he went to Jackson Hole. Um, and, um, so Jerry was always, uh, you know, a, a big part of that, um, uh, program there. Yeah. 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 It's good stuff. But I, I never went to the, the one at the ranch. Okay. It's a, I mean, that, that's a big, uh, that's a big commitment, right? Investment of time. But, uh, yeah, but it's, it's a good investment early on because, you know, it's not so much that you learn from them how to be a trial lawyer mm. as it is that you 
put everything else out of your mind and spend some time thinking in your own mind uh, about who you are, you know, and and what you want to be as a trial lawyer. And so I, I think it's um, more than a instructional or more than a training session. It's a self-discovery sort of a session. Mm. Because as, as Jerry Spence always, uh, you know, told people, you're not going to be me. You know, you need to be you. And so you have to find who you are. Um, and, uh, and then find your motivation to go out and be a dedicated champion for your clients. Got it. A lot, a lot of lawyers go right from undergraduate to grad to become a lawyer, go to law school. Is that what you did as well? I did. I did. Yeah. And so, so that doesn't make sense to me. And and because you would think that you'd want a little bit of real life experience before you went back into the classroom. So you could maybe, you know, you maybe contribute a little bit more, maybe have a little more perspective. So I wonder about, like you said early on, I mean, I went to graduate school to get business school and having some real life experience allowed me to contribute more. I felt to the classroom as opposed to just being, you know, theoretical and academic because the real world is not you lose some of that translation from theory to practice. Right. Yeah, no, I think that's a good point. Everybody has to pick their own path, but um, the, um, you know, the classes in law school include a lot of business type classes. Okay. And um, if you're studying um, about um, property, for example, and you've never owned a piece of property, um, if you're studying uniform commercial transactions and you know, you've never bought a refrigerator. Um, if you are uh, studying tax and you've never filled out, uh, you know, uh, a, a complicated tax schedule and all you've had is a 1040 EZ, yeah. um, you know, it is a little more abstract than it is for somebody who's had a little bit of life experience. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, because I've heard through these conversations, like, you know, when I get into the real world, it's like I need to be learn how to become a lawyer, right? Just like, you know, just like going to Jerry Spencer, just being, you know, just practicing law. It's a lot different than what you learn in a textbook. Uh, the, the other uh, side of that coin, of course, is that sooner you become a lawyer, the more time you have to become a, to be a lawyer. And there's a certain amount of uh, skill that comes from experience. Um, and so, um, you know, um, getting in and getting your career started is, um, uh, helpful in terms of, uh, giving you the experience that allows you to be an effective lawyer at a younger age. Uh, but, um, you know, if you're interested in going into a more institutional setting where you're going to be working for a firm that has institutional clients um, and, you know, you're a 26 year old with a law degree, um, the clients are not going to listen to (laughs) be very, you know, uh, clients from corporations who come and sit in your office are not going to be very interested. They're going to be saying, you know, where's the guy with some gray hair uh, or the woman with some gray hair. Yeah. Uh, uh, rather than um, 
you know, take their um, uh, advice from a 26 year old. Although they're going to pay for it. I've been in those meetings where I was, I was a, a lender at one point and we had, you know, the big white shoe law firm and you had the senior partner, you know, the next level, you know, you probably had like four or five lawyers. On, why they're am I paying for it? Right. So I, yeah, that's, 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 the, that's the revenue model for big law now. And yeah. in my opinion, it's, uh, uh, dubious. Yeah. It seems like it is. You know, if it weren't for those big corporations, it's like almost, that market almost wouldn't exist, right? Because it's so, kind of self-perpetuating. I yeah. think anyway, yeah. So what would you suggest then for a young lawyer having this conversation? You know, would you go right to law school? Would you work? What would be just how would you pick, you know, what kind of law you want to practice? What would you say? Well, and the other reason to go straight to law school is that if you don't go straight to law school, then you might not go. Um, but if, but if if you're, I guess, um, uh, that easily deterred, then maybe you shouldn't go anyway. Uh, um, you should go to law school if you really want to be a lawyer, uh, or if you, uh, you know, really want to have. Uh, an understanding of the law uh, as a tool in your toolbox for whatever you're going to do. Uh, but don't go to law school because um, you can't think of anything else to do uh, because it's too much work and, um, and too much time and expense. And you're probably just not going to enjoy it unless, you know, you have um, a desire to, uh, to, to, um, dedicate yourself to it. Um, as to timing, um, you know, I think it can work both ways, but, um, but I, I think, uh, taking a couple of years off and doing something else and getting your, getting out of school and having a job and, you know, having bills to pay and, uh, sort of seeing how the economy works a little bit, uh, is probably, uh, good preparation for, um, a lot of the uh, subjects that you deal with in law school, not just the business ones, but also, uh, you know, torts and contracts and, um, and uh, constitutional law that involve uh, the rights of individuals balanced against other individuals and uh, that sort of thing. Uh, if you have a little life experience, it helps. Yeah, got it. Good. So what's the next, what's the next chapter of your life going to look like? Uh, that's hard to say. Yeah. Um, I'm, um, um, you know, in a really good place right now and, uh, and uh, maybe it'll involve um, uh, continuing to handle the cases that I have an opportunity now to, to work on that involve big issues or, uh, large amounts of money or important causes, um, uh, or I might spend more time uh, doing writing or um, pursuing some other kind of related um, interests, um, you know, or, um, you know, maybe I'll have an opportunity to do some other kinds of public service. Good. Excellent. So just uh, final words, what do you uh, want to leave with the audience about you, your law firm, and best way to connect? 
Uh, Morrison Sherwood Wilson Diola is our law firm. Okay. Uh, MSWDlaw.com. Uh, there's a shortcut uh, to my bio page, which also gets you into our website, johnmorrison.com. Uh, and uh, if you go to johnmorrison.com, you, you can uh, kind of see what I've done throughout the course of my career. Uh, and you can also navigate around our site. Uh, but we help uh, consumers, workers, small businesses in um, a variety of different kinds of areas. Uh, we try to be a pretty full service law firm uh, to ordinary folks, um, but uh, we also uh, deal with uh, you know a lot of important issues that have uh, repercussions for those same uh, people, consumers and workers, uh, families, small businesses, um, and uh, you know we deal with uh, uh, little cases and big cases. Um, and we have uh, uh, nine lawyers uh, right now. Uh, we're one of the largest uh, law firms in Montana that uh, represents uh, everyday folks as opposed to uh, corporate uh, clients. Yep. Um, and uh, so, um, you know, if you have um, uh, issues in Montana, um, either as a client, yourself or as an attorney and you're looking for uh, someone to associate with, um, then uh, we'd be happy to talk to you. Excellent. Good stuff. Well, listen, pleasure. John Morrison, not to be confused with uh, the uh, the performer. I'm sure you've heard that before. Jim. Wait, is it Jim? Jim, Mar wait, the doors, right? Yeah, he was Jim. Jim, yeah. Jim okay. Um, anyway, uh, good, good spending time with you. Uh, it, uh, it was a pleasure. And uh, this is sponsored by uh, Emotion Track, which is a legal tech platform. And we, we help litigators like yourself prepare for uh, mediation and trials with, with our platform. Thanks a ton. I'll let you get back to your Thanksgiving uh, holiday. Thank you, Jonathan. You bet.